0: Find your Bible or your tablet, smartphone, wherever you have God's Word this morning. Open to 2 Kings chapter 18. That's where we're going to be looking and diving into the Scripture this morning. 2 Kings chapter 18. It's about halfway through your Old Testament, just in case you're not familiar where to find that. 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah is going to lead the people of Judah to return to the Lord during his 25-year reign. But in their book one cry, which I've been going through this, and a group of our folks, our mission team, are being led through this by the Brookerts uh, on Sunday nights. It's a great book. But in this book, Byron Paulus and Bill Eliff mention several spiritual conditions, or you might even say steps, uh, if there are steps. But these are prerequisites to revival uh, that must happen. They identify these conditions. In Christ's letter to the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation, so in the book of Revelation, chapter two, verses four through five, the Ephesian church has uh, stood the test of time. They've they've fought against false doctrine, but their complacency has led to their falling out of love with the Lord, and they needed a revival. So in Revelation 2 verses 4 through 5, uh, the Bible says the Lord Jesus says to that church to remember from where they have fallen. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So if you think about those words that the Lord Jesus gives to that church and the warning that he gives to that church, that if they don't repent, that they could lose their lampstand, the light of that church, the the love in that church, the spirit that's in that church, they could lose it all. So he tells them to remember and repent and return and then recommit to doing the works that they did at first. And so that's what we're going to look at. And just like the, the church in Ephesus, we need a supernatural stirring of God today in our church. That's what we need more than anything as a church. We need the love of God to begin to overflow, the love for God and the love for one another in our church. We need revival. Amen. The church does. Now, that, now Byron Paulus and one guy, they, they give us a, a diagram or a cycle of spiritual awakening in the book, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. So here's the cycle. Right, we, we begin with awakening among believers that turns and translates into worship and mission, going out, doing the work of God. But then inevitably, what happens over time is that the people of God become complacent. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, the book of, the, of Judges. We see that happening, and we see it in the book of Kings. It continues to happen And even throughout church history, we see the same thing happening in churches. So we go through decline. And as a result of that, we have discipline and judgment that falls upon us. And we begin to sense that something isn't right. And when God's people begin to sense that something isn't right, what's the natural response to that? Well, we begin to cry out to God. God, something is wrong. We need you. Lord, don't take your spirit away from us. That's what David said in Psalm 51. And then as a result of crying out to God, seeking the face of God, then revival comes among the believers. See, it begins in the church, but then the cycle awakening among unbelievers. Listen, we're never going to be in a position to reach the lost world out there until God sends revival to his church right here. Amen. And so here's revival, and this is a working definition. Revival is a supernatural stirring in the hearts of God's people that produces extraordinary results. And listen, if you want God to do something amazing through you, you've got to get your heart right with Him. You've got to bring your heart to Him. And you've got to say, God, revive me. You've got to say, I need revival. I need revival. And so today we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament where these spiritual conditions were true of God's people and it led to a time of national renewal and revival among God's people. So why don't you, if you have your Bible open and it's open to chapter 18 of 2 Kings, go ahead and stand with me. Stand up with me and we're going to read together about King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. And so verse 1 begins this way. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. So that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him. Nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. And he did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Let's stop there and pray together. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your word today. Lord, we've bowed on our knees and in our hearts, Lord, before you. Asking, Lord, for you to send revival to our hearts. Lord, we can see the example of how God's people have been revived in the past. So, Lord, let us follow that example. Let us seek you in spirit and in truth. Let us repent, Lord, and turn away from sin and our wicked ways. And turn to you, the God of life, the God of love, the God of of eternal things, God, so that you might revive us and that fire might grow and that we would see many souls come to glory as a result. Father, let it begin right here with us. Let it begin with me. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And so if we think about these spiritual conditions that must exist in order for God's people to revive, be revived, the first thing is for them to remember. Remember from where you have fallen. That's what the Lord says to the Ephesian church. Remember from where you've fallen. Hezekiah was nine generations from King David, right? Nine generations. Nine kings had set upon the throne in Jerusalem from David down to Hezekiah. And his father, Ahaz, the Bible says, the father of Hezekiah was Ahaz. So I'm going to stop right here for just a second. Because to me, and we're going to have some fun here. Hezekiah sounds a lot like a sneeze to me. You know, like Hezekiah or, (laughs) you know, Kaya. It kind of sounds like that. So every time I say Hezekiah, I want you, so I know you're paying attention, I want you to say, bless you, okay? Okay. Can y'all handle that? All right. 2 Kings 16, 2-4. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Yeah. And he was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. As his father David had done. Now, Ahaz, listen, he's eight generations from David. Okay. But yet David is the example. So when we say David is father, we're we're saying David, the example of all the kings of Israel, that they should seek the Lord with all of their heart. They should be a man after God's own heart like David. But Ahaz had not fulfilled that. Now look at, at verse three. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. And we got northern and southern tribes, and we can get into all that later if you want to. But the northern kings, all of those kings were evil. And they all worshipped foreign gods. And they all set up pillars and, and high places. And Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom, did the same thing. Okay? And so then it goes on to say, he even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nation's whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So Ahaz, good king or bad king? Help me, church. Bad king. Bad king. But when we come to his son, Hezekiah, thank you, he was a good king. And then it goes on to say that he, he continued in the footsteps Of his father, David, look at what it says in verse three, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father had done. In other words, Hezekiah was a man after God's own heart like David. And because of that, God blessed him just as in the days, the kingdom of David. And so To remember that and to look back at that and to think about from where the kingdom had fallen. Look at the days of David with me just in your mind for a moment. David was a man in whom the Spirit of God rested with great power. He was anointed king by Samuel, the prophet in his hometown. He had defeated the wicked champion of the Philistines who had defied the armies of the living God. Isn't it interesting that at the end of this paragraph that we've read today... That the kingdom fought against the Philistines and defeated them under Hezekiah's rule. Thank you. Okay, you can quit that. It's fun. It's fun. You were paying attention, so we're good. All right. David had served victoriously in Saul's army, he unified the nation of Israel and established Israel's center of worship in the city of Jerusalem. And then he led the unified nation into the most glorious days that they'd ever known, the glorious days of prosperity and peace, and then he handed over the throne to his son Solomon who continued in that same prosperity and peace until what? Solomon began to allow the foreign gods of those 700 wives that he had uh, 700 concubines, 300 wives, 700 concubines that he had married. Lead his heart astray. He set up pillars in Asherah all over the land to satisfy these women. And so that began to decline. But I want you to think with me. I want you to look back. I want you to remember and this is what the Lord said to the church in Ephesus. And we represent that church today in many ways. The church in the West, the church in America is in national decline because we have turned our back on the Lord and we've forgotten the kind of people that God has called us to be. I want you to think about these, uh, these questions that we find in Run Cry With Me. To remember where you once were. And remembering where you once were is essential to getting back on the right track. Do you remember when you first came to Christ? What was your love for Him like in those days? Is there anything that you were once willing to do for Christ that you were unwilling to do now? And if yes, what and why? Think back over the three greatest highlights of your spiritual journey. Was there a greater passion than there is now? And why? Have you lost your extravagance and love? I mean, that's a, that's a call back to when Mary poured out all of her alabaster jar on the Lord to anoint Him. Has your relationship with Him become mundane and routine? As you look back, where did you begin to lose your fervency from Christ? Where did the decline begin Jesus said, you are to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Does he dominate all your affections? Are there closets of your heart, your soul, your mind that are off limits to him that are preoccupied with other things? Uh, I'll help you with this one for just a second. If you have to hide it from other people... It's probably not something you should think or do. Because what we're doing when we hide it from others is we're pretending that the Lord can't see it. But He can. What do you love more than Jesus? What takes precedence over time with Him? What would you be willing to give to return to the days of your greatest passion for Christ? What would you give for return? Do you desire it? Do you want it more than anything? Now, maybe your memory is not very good. And as you think back, you're having a hard time. You're fuzzy and you're scratching your head. And it made me think of the words of John Newton whenever I thought of that. John Newton said, although my memory is fading. You remember John Newton, by the way. He was the one who wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. He wrote those words. He was a slave trader. And he became a Christian, and he repented of all of his sin. And he said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. And you can at least remember these two things. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And listen, if you don't remember anything from where you've fallen, and all you can remember is there was a day whenever I realized I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior, revival can begin right now in your heart if you can remember that. That's the starting place. And there was a moment that those truths were so real in your life. If you're a Christian today, if you're a believer in Christ, there was a moment that those truths were so real and so impressed upon your heart that it motivated you to seek the Lord, to call on His name, to turn from your sin and put your faith in Him for salvation. Remember from where you've fallen. How long has this been going on? How long has it been going on? And how long will you allow it to continue? Secondly, like Hezekiah, repent from your sin. Remember from where you've fallen and then repent from your sins. These spiritual conditions must be true of the heart that will be revived. Repentance from sin is a must. A turning away from sin forsaking sin, denying yourself, putting it away from you. In verse 4, Hezekiah led the nation to begin tearing down the altars to the foreign gods. He said, we'll have none of this anymore. Verse 4, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made... Israel had made offerings to it. So we we just think about this for a minute. Look at the words there again, beginning in verse 4. He removed. There's some some action in your life that must take place if you're truly going to repent. You're going to have to remove some things from your life. You're going to have to invite the work of the, the Holy Spirit of God to sanctify you, removing that which is not of God out of your life. And then it goes on to say, not only uh, remove high places, he broke the pillars. The pillars were raised up to worship these false gods, Baal and Asherah and other gods. He broke those pillars down. There's some bondage in your life that must be broken. There's some sins, some habitual sins that need to be broken in your life. Those high places need to be torn down and removed and those places where you take what belongs to God and you give it over to something that's less of a god that's not worthy that has that process has to be broken in your life. It's got to stop. And so it goes on to say he cut down the asherah. I mean that's some pretty uh, that's a bold move. I remember Gideon the angel comes to gideon the angel of the lord comes to gideon he's threshing wheat in a wine press he's hiding as he threshing. threshing wheat was supposed to be a joyous occasion where the whole community came together and everybody enjoyed it together a big celebration as they threshed out the wheat but yet he's hiding in a wine press he's doing it in secret because he's afraid of the armies of midian and the angel of the lord comes to gideon and he says hail mighty warrior and gideon said who me And the angel said, yes. And then he gave him instructions of what he was to do. That night, Gideon took the first step in national renewal and repentance whenever he hooked his father's oxen to a pillar that was raised up in worship of Baal and he pulled it down. And then he took those oxen and the ox cart and he sacrificed to God. Dad woke up. Dad woke up, and all of the community woke up. They said, "Who did this?" Gideon said, "I did." The Lord tells us not to do these things anymore, and He's calling us to repent. So I'm wondering for you and me, what needs to be broken down, torn down in your life that is not of God. Repentance in the Old Testament, the word is shuv, and what it means is to turn. So you're going in one direction and the word means to turn in the opposite direction from where you've been going. That's a, a drastic life change that needs to happen. And this is the beginning of revival in your life. is repenting before the Lord, remembering from where you've fallen and then turn away from your sin. And your wicked ways. In the, in the uh, New Testament, the word is metanoia. And what it means is, meta means change or different. And noia means thinking or, or gnosis, thinking, change of heart, change of mind. That's what metanoia means. So you've got to change your thought life about sin. And you have to say, well, it's an affront to a holy God. But this is something that's wrong that the Lord doesn't want me to do. Repentance cannot happen as long as we're content to sleep it un- sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not sinful. If the Holy Spirit has revealed to you even something this morning, don't wait. Don't wait even. For the end of the service when we have the invitation. Because we're going to have an invitation. But, but don't even wait till then. Start right now in your heart saying, committing to the Lord. Lord, I, you are revealing to me what is wrong within me. And Lord, right now, here, right now, I repent. You know, Jesus, whenever he stepped on the scene and began preaching, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is coming near to you and me today. And revival is about to break out and what he wants is for you and me to say no to our sin. Acts 2:38. We know what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? A great spiritual the first great spiritual awakening began right there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people were saved at the preaching of Peter from the book of Joel. And Peter said to them, repent because they said they were cut the Bible says they were cut to the quick. And they asked, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And listen, when a church does that, when a church collectively does that, God pours His Spirit out upon the church like never before. And the latter days of the church will be better than the former days of the church. And greater things can be done in our midst than we've ever seen before if we will repent and allow the Spirit of God back into His church. In the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus is on the outside of His church and He's standing at the door and He's knocking. Saying, who will let me in? Then again in Acts 3, Peter preaches again there at Simon's portico. And he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Don't you want that on our church church folks? Times of refreshing. Man, I want that so bad. And I'll tell you right now, It's not going to come from an election in the White House. It's not going to come from some kind of law or or borders being closed off or anything like that. Listen, it's not coming from any of those things. not coming from some kind of reform from the government. It's going to come from when the people of God repent of their sin and seek the face of a holy God. That's how it happens. That he may send the Christ appointed for you. And Christ Jesus, listen, he wants to get in his church so bad But sin has barred the door. The sin that you're unwilling to confess to the Lord and repent from. And He won't come in because He's a gentleman. 1 Peter 4.17 For it is time for judgment to begin. Where? At the household of God. In the book of Joel, he, he talks about how the priest and the minister should weep between the altar and the people, of the sin of the people. Judgment begins right here and right now. We can't blame the government and we can't blame the society and the and the woke culture and all of those things. We've got to look inwardly at ourselves. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, there's not any hope for the folks out there if the people in the church don't get right. Because God has chosen you and me as His chosen instruments to go into a lost and dying world and proclaim the excellencies of our God to a people out there who are lost in sin. And if we aren't right with the Lord, who will He send? Who's going to go? Second Chronicles 7.14, you know it so well. Say it with me, church. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Folks, that's a promise. God made that promise right there at the dedication of the temple because God knew that the people of God that were there and they were so full of the presence of God in the moment whenever His Spirit rushed upon the temple and they were so excited about the presence of God filling that place, God knew in that moment that they were going to turn their backs, they were going to walk away, and they were going to forget everything that they had just seen and they were going to turn to sin instead. And so God made this promise. He said, Whenever that happens and the people remember from where they've fallen and they repent and they come and they seek my face, I will return to them. You take one step in the direction of God and he will turn, and he will return all the way to you. Evan Roberts was, he became the leader of the great Welsh revival. But during that time, the Lord was waking him up in the middle of the night to pray. And he just simply would get up and pray. And he'd spend, spend the middle of the night praying. And then there was a, a time whenever he was asked to preach. He was sharing what, what God was doing with him, waking him up in the middle of the night to pray. And then that night, that Monday night, at that Monday night prayer service, revival began to break out. And many and more and more people came to know the Lord. But this was his sermon outline. Listen, he said, confess any known sin to God and put away any wrong done to others. Hey, folks, that's a prerequisite to revival. If your brother or your sister has aught with you and you do nothing about it, you are quenching the Holy Spirit of God in this place. Put away any doubtful habit. Those are the sins that we've been talking about. Obey the Holy Spirit promptly. Whatever He's put on your heart to do that you've not been doing. The Bible says, James said, that that is sin. When you know the good that you ought to do, but you fail to do it, that's called sin. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything if you say, well, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss. I'm good with God. No. No. If His Holy Spirit has laid something on you to do on your heart and you say no to Him, you're as wretched a sinner as any of us for that. And so He says, obey the Holy Spirit promptly. That means right now. Do it now. Don't wait. There's never a better time to obey God than now. And there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Do it now. And then lastly, confess Christ openly. Now that's Evan Roberts' sermon. And did you know that that sermon sparked the Welsh revival? And the Welsh revival swept across the land. Hundreds of thousands of people got saved. It even flooded over into the United States of America and led a a revival here in the Northeast. And here's the thing. They said that so much changed and happened. One of the things that were happening is people were selling back all the things, uh, giving back all the things that they had stolen, I mean. And another thing was they quit cursing and, and they said that the, that the uh, teams of horses that, they, that the men used to drive to plow the fields and stuff, they quit obeying commands because the people's language was cleaned up so much by the revival. It's going to change you, amen, whenever the Lord's presence falls down. So repent. Remember from where you fall and repent. And then lastly, uh, thirdly, return to the Lord. return to the Lord. Look at verse 5. Look, at, this speaks specifically about Hezekiah, and it says he trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. <laughs> All of the, the other kings of the northern tribe, as well as his own father in the southern tribe, they had trusted in other things. They had trusted in Asherah. They had trusted in Baal, other gods, to give them fruitful harvests and, and to lead them in, in battle and in victory. But Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. I think that goes all the way back to David. It said from David all the way down to Hezekiah, there wasn't a king like Hezekiah. And then after him, there wasn't a king after him like him. Why? Because he sold his heart out to the Lord completely. He returned to the Lord. When you remember from where you fall, and like the Ephesian church that they've left their first love, you can remember the time whenever you felt so close to the Lord that you loved him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you would never let anything get in between you and your God. It's time to return. It's time to get back to that place again. It's time to want that more than anything else. Luke 15. The prodigal son, the younger son, had left his father, taken his inheritance, squandered it away in loose living. Now he's sitting among the pigs, longing to eat the food that was given to the pigs. That's a bad state to be in. Right? Right? But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while his father was still a long way off, his While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Listen, this is the attitude of our God whenever we return to him. He's not waiting there to scold you. Where is he? He's waiting for you to return. And he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now you think about that story and let it sink in for just a minute. This young man Repented of his sin. And turned. Turned away from that sin. And turned to his father. And where was his father? His father was waiting and watching. And welcomed him home and celebrated. And listen that will happen. Jesus said there is more celebration over one sinner. Who repents than 99 righteous people. Who don't need repentance. So return to the Lord. Lord. That's what Hezekiah did that made such a difference. And everyone saw it. And it led the nation in a period of revival. A kingdom that was not like any of the kingdoms in Judah before nor after. And then, lastly, recommit to good works. Recommit to good works. Jesus told that Ephesian church in his letter to them, do the works you did at first. Get back to what you know you ought to be doing before me, he said. And look at what it says, more of what it says about Hezekiah in verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. And by the way, his kingdom lasted 29 years. So for 29 years, during Hezekiah's reign, the nation experienced a revival. And then, verse 6 for he held fast to the Lord. The word held fast speaks of commitment. You only become useful in Christ's service when you put yourself completely in his hands, when you commit to it wholeheartedly, and you decide, I am a Christian, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will serve him faithfully. That's commitment. When you hold on tight, no matter what, ups and downs. And listen, I think about the roller coaster. <laughs> Whenever I get on that roller coaster, I'm in line, I'm nervous, I'm a little bit tense. But once you get in, and you get the bar comes down, you get strapped in, you're committed, right? No matter what, for all the ups and downs that are coming, that are up ahead, right? But you commit because you believe that at the end of the ride, you're going to be right back where you started in safety, that you're going to be okay, right? And you're going to have a big grin on your face. That's the way, it, that's the way I see the Christian life. You start out excited, and then you commit. You get baptized, and you're surrounded by other believers, and, and you're, the joy of the Lord is flowing in your life. But then you start the roller coaster ride. But then what you realize is at the end, there's Jesus. And you see him with a smiling face and you welcome, you're welcome. you welcomed in. <clears throat> when Julius Caesar landed on the shores of, of Britain with his Roman legions, he took a bold and decisive action to ensure the success of that military venture. He ordered his men to march to the edge of the cliffs of Dover. He commanded them to look down at the water below. And to their amazement, they they saw every ship which they had crossed the channel engulfed in flames. No way back. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. No turning back. Now that his soldiers were unable to return to the continent, there was nothing left for them to do but to advance and conquer. And that's exactly what they did. commitment for he held fast to the Lord he did not depart from following him but he kept the commandments that the Lord God had commanded Moses and the Lord was with him wherever he went out he prospered he rebelled against the king of Assyria he would not serve him he struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city what is he what is it saying It's saying that there was prosperity in the land. The revival that the nation needed so badly had come upon them from the north to the south and in every fortified city and every watchtower there was peace in that land. Now it doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that it stayed that way for all 29 years. In fact, it's going to get a little difficult. And we're going to see some more of that next week for Hezekiah. And I hope that it will encourage your heart. But I think about the great uh, revivalists. Gypsy, what's his last name, Caleb? Help me. Let's see my Smith. Put that up there. He said, Rodney or Gypsy Smith was a great revivalist of the 20th century, late 19th century, 20th, uh, 20th century. Go home, he said. Lock yourself. In the middle of your room. In your room. Kneel down in the middle of your floor. Draw a chalk mark around yourself. Right there on the floor. And ask God to start a revival inside that chalk mark. And when He has answered your prayer, the revival will be on. So here's my challenge to you. If you don't have chalk, I've got 12. You can even cut them in half if you need to. You only need enough to draw a circle. I've got 12. But go buy you some chalk. Go home. Draw your circle. Kneel and pray. Leave the circle there on the floor. Go back to it. Kneel and pray. If you can't kneel, just stand in the circle. Say, God, revive me. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent of your sin. Return to the Lord. And recommit your entire life, your entire being to serving the God who gave everything for you. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and that first step of repentance has never taken place in your life. You've never put your, your faith in, in Jesus before. You never confessed your sin. And the Lord saying to you, just as He said to Peter, then Peter said to the, to the people that were gathered on the day of Pentecost, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. and He will forgive you. He'll make you a new person today and revival, an awakening will start in your life right here, right now, today. And the angels in heaven will rejoice of your decision to make Christ the Lord of your life. So today, if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. You just bow your heads with your eyes closed and pray this prayer in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong, Lord. And I've failed to do the things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. I deserve to be separated from you. But Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth. And you lived a sinless life. And you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you're alive today. You proved that you're God. And you were Lord of all. So Jesus, I repent for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to make me a new person. Save me, a sinner. Lord, thank you for hearing that prayer. And I believe your promise that I will spend eternity with you. And in the meantime, I will serve you for the rest of my life. I will love you and live for you. My King Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now? This is our invitation. And this is your opportunity. That if you've prayed that prayer and you meant that with all your heart. The Lord Jesus has done a a supernatural, miraculous work in your life. to, To save you from your sin. To cleanse you. To heal you. To make you a new person from the inside out. And that process starts right now. And he wants you to follow him in obedience. And we want to offer to you resources to help you learn and grow. We want to offer you believers baptism so that you can follow him in obedience. And so you come. This is our invitation for you. And then also, if you need prayer, you come to the altar because our altar counselors will be right here to pray with you. If you need to pray right there in your seat, you do that during our invitation. If you know that the Lord has called you to join, to love and serve alongside the saints right here at Myrtle Grove, you come. I can't think of a better place for you to be than Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. It's an amazing church full of people who love the Lord Jesus. And so you come and serve alongside the saints right here. Let's use this invitation to the glory of God. Let's sing together.